It's good to see you guys, man. Um, we are in a series called Making, Making Room for Jesus, Making Room for Jesus, man. This is a, this series, the series was designed, it was created with, with this hope in mind, is that in the middle of our distracted life, right, we understand that we want you guys to be game changers, we want you guys to change the paradigm of your family, your neighborhoods, your, your relationships, but sometimes in the midst of life, you are distracted. You're distracted by work. You're distracted by relationships. You're distracted by the things that gets in the way. And so usually because of our distractions, instead of becoming game changers, instead of people who take our faith and put it into action, we become kind of stagnant with that. And so making room for Jesus is, is kind of uh, helping us to impart within our daily lives uh, thoughts, reminders, truth, that we would actually make Jesus our center, right, to, to, to kind of bring back Christ into the very heart of who we are in the midst of all this. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about um, uh, chosen. Can everybody look at each other and can you guys say, you're not special, but you're chosen. You're not special, but you are chosen, right? Hey, some of y'all, some of y'all's mad. You're mad at me for like, I am special. Some of y'all, no, nah, it's truth. You're not special, right? Yet God would choose you. You understand that? Is that, they, that he would choose you regardless of who you are. There was nothing special, nothing great, nothing of worth or value about you that led him to pick you, but yet he has chosen you. And you know what that should do to our mind? If we really understand that, we grasp that truth of that, the truth of that, that, tr- that, that doctrine, that, that, that teaching, what that does for the heart, the human heart, is that it, it reminds us that if he would pick me, so there's nothing about me of worth and value. And who am I to look at my brother or my sister, my neighbor, and think that I have something more than them, right? Somehow I'm superior than them or somehow I'm inferior to them. It teaches us to actually look at people with the way that God looks at people. It teaches us to have humility in that. So if you remember the fact that you're not special, yet God chose you, you look at people and say, you know what? I can love this brother regardless of who and how they are to me, right? Talked about trust. It's not about the, the amount of, like, energy you can muster to trust Jesus, but it's the object of your trust, all right? Here's a, a, an example for this. You know, um, before I went to Vietnam, past, uh, I, I got really sick, and then, you know, she came in our church, she gave me these oils, right? Like, I, I don't, to this day, I still don't know what these oils do, but my trust is not, like, in the oil itself, my trust is in the object of it, which is to give. If she says this is going to keep me from getting sick, I'm going to rub this mug on. Every, I, I, to this, I rub this thing on my leg, on my feet, right? And she says it's going to stop you. It's like a, it's a barrier that keeps things from, I don't know how it works, right? But she said, like, just trust. I'm like, okay, right? I don't know how it works. I, I, didn't, even look, I didn't even look at the science about it. I just said, look, she came as a pretty trustworthy woman, right, until she proves otherwise. I got to put my trust in that, right? And, then, and, and think about this. If she's not a perfect woman, and if she's by not being perfect, then she's also, she in her imperfection has proven herself worthy of trust. How much more should our Lord, who has died for our lives, be given the trust that he deserves? The trust that says, I'm not going to trust in my work, my family, my relationship, my money, my abilities, but I'm going to trust in the one who actually can save. Jesus Christ, right? So we talked about in the midst of our distracted life, remember, what is it that you're actually putting your trust in? What is it that you actually hold your trust into? 
Three, we talked about that Jesus is not just our Savior, but he's also Savior and Lord, right? Savior and Lord. You know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is someone who knows all the right things to say about God and has no context of change or transformation in their heart. There's no change in their life, but they know exactly what to say. They'll do something dumb, and they'll say, but God loves me, and God will forgive me. That's the right thing to say. It's true. Nothing wrong with that. That's a very true doctrinal thing to say. But it's cheap grace when you keep using it as a way of getting out of jail for free card. It means that you, you know what to say, but you don't really understand what you're saying. And you're using it as a way to justify your action. It's like my son doing something dumb. He looks at me and he says, I'm sorry, Daddy. That's right. That's exactly what you should say. But are you really sorry, though? If you are, then I should see some change in your life. Right? In our distracted life, making room for Jesus, what that looks like is that not only is he a loving God, but he is also Lord of our lives. And so there ought to be change that is occurring in your life. There ought to be moments or movements of obedience in your life, okay? And then last week, we talked about identity, that we're on this, we're constantly putting ourselves in this courtroom where we're either feeling good about who we are and we're making a case like, you know, I've done great things today, I've done great things for the Lord, I've done things for myself, I feel pretty uplifted, or we're on the other side of the courtroom, we're feeling pretty beaten by the day. We feel like, you know what? I messed up. How could I have done that? I wonder what they're thinking of me. And you're constantly in this courtroom, this pendulum swing back and forth. And when, the reason why we're in there is because we've forgotten our identity. Because our identity takes us out of this courtroom. We can stand before our God and not be afraid of constantly, do I need to prove myself every day to the people around me? Or even to myself. Because we're not judged by the people in this world or even judging ourselves. Right? It is God who judges us. Do you remember your identity in your life? Because this is how you know. When things get bad, when things get down, things are going really crazy, that's how you know. Because whatever it is that you turn to for support, for strength, that's your identity. Your Christian identity only comes out the moment of testing, right? The moment where you're asking the question, where am I? Which courtroom am I in? So today we're going we're gonna to talk about one more thing, uh, a few more things actually, but we're going to talk about one specific topic, it's the topic of repentance today, right? In the middle of our distracted life, one of the key characteristics of a Christian is the spirit of repentance, the spirit of actually saying, I know that I've wronged my God, I know that I've grieved him, and there's a spirit that says, let me change. Do we have that spirit in TLC? Do you have that spirit within yourself? That's what we're going to be trying to get at today, okay? So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. All right, we're going to read the first two verses. Everyone goes to the whole thing, but we're going to read the first two verses. It says this, it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Right? I shouldn't read the whole thing. Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit and have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and I am with you, 
in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Bow ahead, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word today. And I ask, Lord, that as we begin to dissect it, open it, learn from it, God, that you would convict that you would bring us as a people, as a church, as a community, as brothers and sisters to the foot of the cross in repentance. Help us, Father God, to understand how we have grieved you, how we have broken our relationship, and Lord Father God, how to mend it and restore it. Father, I pray over TLC, I pray over our sons and daughters here, our families, that you would take this day, renew our hearts, renew our minds, teach us once again what you have in store for us. We thank you, God. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. All right, let me set you the context with this church again. This church is a church in the city of Corinth. It is basically between Athens and Sparta, okay? This was the type of place where when you go there, everyone who lived there didn't come from there. It was what this metropolis city. Um, they go there to make a living. They go there to get rich or die trying, right? They are very diverse, culturally diverse, a racially diverse group that lived in this city. And in this city, on top of a mountain, they worship the goddess Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love, of sex, of lust. Right? And one of the ways in which they worship this goddess is that uh, this goddess has about 1,000 temple prostitutes that worship up there. And every night, what happens to these temple prostitutes? They will come down into the city, they will fornicate as a way of worshiping the, uh, the, the goddess Aphrodite. So you can understand that this is a very promiscuous um, culture. This is a very sexually active, sexually driven city, right, that has as part of their identity, their culture, pretty, pretty solid, okay? Actually, to, uh, if you came out from Corinth, it's like a label. Like, they'll say, oh, you're, you're a Corinthian boy, or you're like a you're Corinthian girl. It's, it's like this, um, you know when someone does something and you label them by that name, right? Like, you know, like if someone does something that, like if uh, someone t- tells a pun, right? You say, oh, you're pulling a Jerry, right? Pulling a Jerry, right? Or, or or someone does something weird, you say, "Hey, you're pulling a Danny," right? It's, it's like you're 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 you use the name as a way of associating that action with that person. In the same way, when they say, "Hey, you're a Corinthian boy," or "You're, you're a Corinthian girl," what they're really saying is that we recognize that where you come from, it is a sexually driven, highly toxic situation of uh, broken sexual ethics in there. It's just it's all over the place. To the point where it's like this. They would say something like this. They would say, you know, my mistress is for my pleasure, my concubine is for the daily tending of my body, and my wife is for bearing legitimate heirs, right? This was the, the context by which this church was built into. This was the context of their surrounding 
as Paul came in here and built this church. And as he built this church, you can imagine all the Christians who are kind of growing into those who are, being, who are finding Jesus, they start to like, oh man, it's like a countercultural action where Christians were like, hey, look, we are, we are very generous with our money, whereas the culture wasn't very generous with them. They're very frugal with their money. Uh, and the culture was also very open with their bodies. But Christians came in and was like, well, we're very generous with our money, but we're very conservative with our bodies. Right? We will share with you our bread, our table. We will share with you our food, but we cannot share with you our bed. And you can imagine how in this sexually tense culture, um, how Christians would stand out like a sore thumb. It's like imagining yourself hanging out with your buddies. Right? You had dinner, had a few drinks. You go back to their home, and they're like, you know, called in a few temple prostitutes, and they're getting their freak on, and you're just sitting there, and you're like, um, can we do something else, right? And they're like, no, come on. And you're like, uh, please, can we do something else, right? We were just asking for that. And it's, it's, we stood out like a sore thumb. And because of this situation, the church began to have this kind of like a, a way of dealing with it. The people in the church, they began to have this idea of like, you know what? How about we exercise our Christian freedom and begin to say something like, hey, you know what? It's... Um, it's okay. It's not a problem. Just let it go. You know what? Christ has freed us. We're covered by grace. Let's just let it be. It's all right. We love them. I love you. Okay? No problem. They begin to create this group within them that was very um, complacent, very allowing in nature, that looked like, at a point, oh, very loving, very caring. But in reality, showing a lot of what we call cheap grace. Okay? So Paul, because he understood this was happening within the church culture, he writes them this letter to kind of remind them, can I tell you the problem? You know what the problem is? It's not about, it, the problem is not even about the sex part. Okay? What, what, what's going on with this dude? That's not even the problem. Let me tell you the problem. Let me tell you what you need to do with it. Let me tell you why. Okay? Let me tell you the problem. Let me tell you what you need to do with it. Let me tell you why. Okay? Look at verse 1 and 2. This is what's the problem. It is actually reported... There is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? The man was, there's a dude in the church, basically he was sleeping with his father's wife, so his stepmom technically. He was sleeping with his stepmom and the church was saying, that's kind of weird. Actually, not just the church, but the whole culture was like, hey, we don't even do that. That's kind of freaky, man. Like, y'all, like, crossed some sort of line there. You know, the church, if people outside are saying that you crossed the line, you pretty much crossed the line, right? It's, it's like equivalent to if the porn industry looked at what you were doing and said, dude, that's some freaky stuff. You know you've done some freaky stuff. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, how, that's how bad it was. And in the church, what they were saying was like, it's okay. We love you, right? God is good. God loves. He forgives. We'll let it go. We're embracing you because that's what we are. We are embracing church. And this was not like a one-time slip-up, like, oops, I fell on her. My bad, guys, right? It was like, it was a continuous, habitual, I know what I'm doing. I'm constantly engaged in it, even though I know that it's not, even in the middle of this high-tense culture, they're saying it's messed up, Right? Like, I know something's wrong with what I'm doing, but it's an habitual thing that they are a part of. 
And the, the lady that he was uh, sleeping with, she probably wasn't a believer, and we know this because uh, later on the discipline was only to him, it wasn't to her, okay? And you, we find out that discipline only goes to, uh, towards a believer. The issue here, the problem, people messed up. Okay, that's, that's a natural thing. People screw up. We all screw up. We all have done many things wrong. There are things that you do in private, things you do in public that you know you are ashamed of, that you know that you would not dare do. Uh, if anyone find out or, or understood what you were doing, you would, be, you, know, you, would, you would run. You would, you would hide. People messed up. That's, that's given. Okay? The problem wasn't technically that. The issue was this. It was because the church was proud of it. The problem was there was no spirit of repentance within the community. There was no spirit of saying, dude, don't you recognize that that's wrong? Don't you recognize that that's an issue? Don't you recognize that that continual thing that we keep going back to, that is a problem? And you're proud of it. Paul was upset because he, he noticed something then. He knows something about the church. He knows, he knows the heartbeat of the church. When you are proud of something like that, that means one very, 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 very important thing. It means that somehow you have forgotten that the person that would re-worship, that we actually have a relationship with that person. You guys get me? Jesus Christ came to earth, and he didn't get married. Yes, he didn't get married because he gave his life for who? For what? For the, starts with a C, rhymes with urch. Church, he gave his life for the church. He, gave, he loved the church to a point where he gave his life for the church, saying like, look, this is how much I want you to know that this relationship what this relationship means to me, you and me, to the point that I would give this life to you. I want you to understand that what I am creating with you is not some sort of ephoral, outward, I'm in the sky looking down on you type of distant relationship. What I'm trying to show you is that my relationship with you is real, that it is intimate, that it is deep, that I want you to understand how far I would go to have you, even though you're not special. I will do whatever it takes, even give my life, to make sure this relationship is solid and real. And when Paul saw the church proud, what he realized was this, they don't recognize that relationship back. Right? I don't need to be a preacher for you to understand this, okay? If you were in a relationship and you wronged your guy, you wronged your woman, right, you know to apologize, don't you? Right? I mean, it's just a natural thing. You know that you gotta, you gotta right your wrong, or is this gonna be a bad relationship? But the problem we don't, when we don't do that in the church, it's, a, it's an indication of one of two things. One, you never had a relationship with God or Jesus. You never had that relationship, or it's not deep enough where you're actually feeling how much you've wronged them. Or two, you've forgotten that you're in a relationship with Him, and it doesn't grieve your heart that you're grieving him. It doesn't grieve your heart that your brother or your sister are grieving him. There is no spirit of repentance in our church. And that's what Paul was upset about. That was the problem. Things get wrong. Things People mess up. That is given. But the thing about messing up is that do you have the spirit in your heart to say, I have wronged you and I need to change? When you look at a brother and sister and you know something in their life and they're constantly stuck in a habitual cycle, do you say like, oh, it's whatever, they'll figure it out? Or does it grieve your heart to watch them grieve the heart of the one who loves them? I'll give you a funny example, okay? Like, um, I, uh, a, couple, a couple, a week or so ago, like I, was, I was 
in the meeting. I was like an online meeting. I was with the elders, and um, some of the brothers right, started messaging me right, while I'm in this meeting. They're like, dude, I just made this fantastic chicken sandwich. Right? You have to eat it. I'm like, dude, I'm about to like talk about things for the church and the future of our community here. Like, TT, I need you to focus. Right? We just made a fantastic chicken sandwich. Let me bring it to you. I'm like, okay, you can, I mean, if you want to, that's a long drive to come and give me a chicken sandwich. You're like, but like, I'll appreciate it, but like, I really can't hang with you because this is a really important meeting. So it's okay. I'm just going to drop it off. That's how good it is, right? And I was like, all right, man, I'm like, maybe they really love the chicken sandwich. I was like, cool, right? It's like, TJ, I'm going to bring two, one for you, one for your wife. I promise you, you guys are going to love it. I'm like, cool, right? So they came, they brought a chicken sandwich, and they said, bye, and I'm just eating it while I'm having this meeting, right? And as I was eating the sandwich, and I'm having this meeting, like all of a sudden that meeting, I wasn't even paying attention anymore because that was an amazing chicken sandwich. I was like, what in the world? And I was, I was going down on it. I was, I was just, I was, it was, it was deli- I killed it like less than like two minutes, right? And then after the meeting, I looked at the second one. I was like, man, like, Trisha t- technically doesn't know that it exists right now. Right? I mean, that's the reality. She does not know that it technically exists at this moment. So if I eat it, she won't know. But then I was thinking, but if I eat it, and they ask her how to taste, and she'll be like, what chicken sandwich? Then I'm in trouble, right? So what do I do, right? Do I, do I bring it up there and say, hey, honey, you got to eat this chicken sandwich? Or do I bite the bullet, eat the sandwich, and just like, you know what? Deal with it, you know? So I was like, no, ride and die. So I texted them. I said, look, this is an amazing chicken sandwich. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad you like this, right? How did you think? I'm like, I didn't tell her yet. I'm going to eat it. They're like, what? No, man. Like, I'll make you another one. I said, no. You can make her another one. I'm going to eat this one, right? They're like, you're not going to do it. You ain't down. And I was like, oh, I ate it, guys. I'm so sorry, right? And I was like, don't tell Trisha, right? And I was like, don't tell All right? And of course, of course, right? Later, I felt, I felt guilty. I felt guilty. And, and, and they were like, they were joking about it. We had dinner and they were joking about it. And she was like, what? What are you guys talking about? I was like, oh. Honey, I have a confession, right? I feel really bad, but I ate a chicken sandwich, right? Your chicken sandwich that they made for you. She's like, what? It's funny, right? It's, it's, it's a silly thing, right? But think about this, right? Like, over a chicken sandwich, I felt pretty guilty, you know? Because there's a, deep, there's, there's, a, there's a level of relationship that you have. And if you have a relationship, you know that there are things that you should do and things you shouldn't do. Because one thing you do, you, you grieve a person, and the things you don't do, that doesn't grieve the person. And here you are as a church and as a people, and as this guy right here. And Paul is looking at them, he's like, you, you're not even grieving over this. Over a thing that people on the outside think is freaky, right? You're not even grieving over this. You know what that tells me? That tells me you don't know your relationship with Jesus. You're, you're, you're embarking on this habitual lifestyle constantly. You're getting affirmation from people that you want to get affirmation saying, it's okay, it's fine, God loves me, he forgives me, and you buy into that, and you don't realize that there is a grief that you are creating for the one who has loved your soul. See, when we forget in the middle of our life this issue, what you're really saying in your heart is, one, I never had this relationship because it doesn't bother me that I broke it, or two, I forgot about this relationship and I got to change. I got to open my eyes and fix it and change. See, brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question. The people around you, okay, the life that you live with each other, things that we do, 
when we see them walking, we see each other walking in this problem, this area. Of course, we sit back, we're, we're, we're looking at them, we're making sure that it's not a, something that is, um, uh, uh, that's happening over and over, but not, it's not just a one-done deal, but it's something that is continuously going on in their life, that they're engaging, that they're walking in, right? Does it not grieve your soul for them? Do you not want to step in and say something? Look, look what he says. Like, I know he says this in verse 3. He says, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. And now you guys read that, and you're like, see, that's why I hate the church, PT, because all they do is they pass judgment on my action. Can I tell you something about judgment? And if you, if you, if you quote that, one thing, you, don't, you have never listened to me preach, right? Second thing is you forgot what judgment really means. There's two judgments in the Bible. One, you can never do as a Christian, right? Two, second one, you can definitely do. The first one that you can never do is you can never judge a person's salvation. You can never come to a person, regardless of what they are doing and what they are not doing, and saying, this person is not saved. This person, I don't know, they don't have Jesus, or this person, or you, you can't go the opposite way. This person is saved. Look at what all they're doing for Jesus. You don't know that. You are not a judge of man's heart. Do you understand? Only God can judge a man's heart. Only God knows that. But one thing you can judge is this. It's not even judgment. It's a call into action. You say, hey, I'm concerned about your action. Your action is not conducive to a person who says that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Your action is not conducive to the citizenship of those who belong to God's kingdom. I'm worried about you. I'm not judging it, but I'm calling it out. You guys follow me? I'm calling out this action. What you're saying is you say Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, therefore I should be in obedience to him, that I trust Jesus, therefore I should have my surrender and put my focus and my worth and my value in him. But what I see, what we see in your actions is totally opposite, and we are concerned about what's going on. We are concerned about where you are going. Can I call that out in your life? That's what Paul is saying here. I've already called it out. This action is not conducive to God's kingdom. People on the outside think it's freaky, let alone you think God be like, oh, that's fine, you know, go ahead, sleep with your stepmom. No, right? It's already an issue, so I'm calling it out. I'm bringing it to light. I'm bringing it forth so that you don't hide behind the judgment of, it's okay, God loves you. You're forgiven. He embraces everything. See, the problem they had was they were proud. They were proud of their actions. They were proud of the way they embraced everything. The issue here was this guy was not repentant at all, and the church didn't even grieve over the problem. He wasn't repentant, and the church didn't even grieve over it. You guys get me? Now, this is not for me to tell you often, like, you're like, dude, I got bullets now, PT. I'm going to go and bam, I got so many people to shoot, right? It's not about that. It's not about you, me giving you the, the go get going. and say, let me go out there and call out everybody then, okay? That's not the journey we take. It's a journey of patience, a journey of love, a journey of watching. Is this just something you're doing because you're dumb right now, right? Is this a moment? Or is it really much your lifestyle? you buy into it, this is you, or it's just a moment. 
You got to really have this. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do in a situation when the problem is like this? What do you do? Look at verse 3 and 5. This is what Paul is saying. This is verse 3. He passed judgment. He called them out. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Look at verse 9 real fast. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all mean the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. And what Paul is saying is, I'm not telling you to call out like everyone on the outside either. Like if you do that, then you're going to have no one to deal with, right? This issue is an in-house issue. This issue is within brothers and sisters in the house issue. People who say, I love Jesus, he's my Savior, he's my Lord, I trust him. There's an issue for those people. And Paul is saying, when you come to people who are unrepentant, habitually walking in this way, verse 11, I am writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, or swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those who are inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked man from among you. So, even, so it gets even worse here. He says, first you got to call it out, and as you call it out, eventually you got to expel them from this place. You're like, this is kind of harsh. A couple things. One, this is only done in-house. Only done towards people who say, I trust Jesus. He is my identity. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I am, I'm under submission to him. It is done not in a way to destroy, but to redeem. That's the first thing you got to understand when you do this. It is done never to destroy a person. It is done always to redeem the person back to their identity, back to reminding them, hey, remember that relationship that you say that you have with Christ? Let me bring it back to you. Let me help you walk back on it because right now you may have lost track. You might have been blinded. You might have been marred. You might have lost ways. You might have been dealing with the wrong people and you're going all over the place. Let me help bring you back to the place where he saved you, where he loved you, where he reminded you of who he is. Right? It's done that way. It's done to redeem. Secondly, right? He was cast out because this was an issue that had permeated throughout the church, contaminating the body of Christ. It's not something you just, you just kind of call out just because you, you want to call it out. You call it out as it begins to actually affect more and more people within the community. When everyone in the community starts crying out, like, it's all right, we're proud of this. The man sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom, we're proud of it because we are a loving church. We are embracing church. We are a kind church. When that begins to be the, the underlining value and core of the community, of the people, then you got to call it out. Thirdly, it's done only to a confessing believer, never towards anyone who is not. Okay? So let me tell you guys. Let me, let me, let me, um, let me tell you guys something, okay? The spirit of expelling someone, and the Bible says, he says, like, let Satan deal with their sinful nature, let it, let it be destroyed so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What he's saying is this. He's put his life into something else besides Jesus. Idol, whatever it is, sex, money, drugs, family, relationship, whatever it is that he's put his trust into. Take him out of it. Let him see 
what the journey of putting your trust into something like that, what it will do to the human heart and human spirit, what it will do to them. When they realize the destructive nature of it, as Satan takes it and destroys their life, let it be that their soul comes back and says, yes, I repent. Remember I told you? A Christian, though may have put in the brakes on their spiritual growth, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, you will what? You will change. You will change. If it takes like a huge wake-up call, you will change. See, if that person that you took, you've taken out of the circle, and if some part, somewhere in their life, they realize, look, I've done wrong. As their sin begins to eat over them, destroy them, then they say, I need to repent. Let me give you a story. Before I was at this church, I was at a, a, the Korean church. And at the Korean church, we used to go to Cambodia. Not to the space we go to now, but a different place. And in this Cambodia uh, ministry that we went to, there's this dude, a pastor who has been ministering in Cambodia for like 15 years of his life. He's dedicated his life to the children, the orphans of Cambodia, and he's watched over them. He set up over like 10 different ministries all up and down Cambodia. We went to visit every single one. We did VBS for every single one, and everywhere we go, we saw him bringing people from Korea to minister and to care for them, teaching them the language, really blessing them, changing the community. So everywhere we went, we saw just God doing an amazing thing through this man and through what he was doing in Cambodia. And so we said, great, that's awesome. We want to be a part of this support. And not just our church, but there's many other churches that came alongside him and said, yes, whatever it is that you're doing, you are moving and, 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 and executing the gospel in a beautiful way. We want to be a part of you. We want to come alongside you, our brother, in fellowship. And so that's what we did. Okay? And over time, something began to change drastically. Right? As, as more teams begin to come over, different churches can come over, they came back and all the leaders hung out together. So we knew, they started asking questions like, you know, something's really kind of weird, right? Um, the young girls, like, they seem to be growing up really fast, right? And we're like, what? What does that mean? You know, like, I was like, first of all, why are you looking? But secondly, like, but they're, they're, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm serious about this. Like, when they were kids, they were kids, but now that they're coming to an age of maturity, they seem to be growing really fast, meaning like their bust and everything seems to be kind of getting a lot bigger real fast. And they're like confused about it and wondering what's going on until they found out that the pastor, in, in, in a way to really get more people to come into the community, used the money that was donated as, uh, to give plastic surgery to young, the, the girls that he thought you know, it was pretty, right, as a way of if they're pretty enough, people will come in. So a lot of these girls, they got plastic surgery, you know, and increased the bust size that. And we're like, whoa, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of freaky. Like, it, like, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, like, you mean, I, I get it, people do plastic surgery, but like, as a way of like, that's like demented on a whole different level, but like, he, he must have his, if it, he must have his reasons, right? Maybe they had breast cancer or something, and they just had to go into surgery. That's like, we're thinking the best case scenario, like, like, 20 of them had it at the same time, like, it could happen. I don't know, right? And then on top of that, on top of that, on top of that, right, was his, his, he's, he used to live in Korea. He moved away from his family. He's been away from his family for over like 10, 11 years, see each other on holidays, and he's, he's gotten very close to his secretary to a part where they're like, this is kind of, and again, she was young when they first got together, but then as the years went along, she grew up, and things got a little bit more complicated looking, right? And here we are, we're just all leaders. We're like, you tell them. And I was like, no, you tell them. I said, look, whoever's the oldest in this group has to tell them, right? That's how it is, you know? And I was like, yes, I am so young, thank God, right? You know, and, I was, and, and they're like, no, you, we have to. Like, well, like, what are you going to say? Like, hey, man, thank you for loving Jesus. Now, like, 
you're weird, right? Like, we're we going to say that guy like that, you know? And so, finally, made up our minds, we're going to go and tell them. And so, next mission trip, next summer came along, we, kept, we all flew out there, like, a few of them. We sat down, we're like, hey, man, like, we love you. We just love the ministry, what you're doing. All these kids are saved, they're great. But, like, we heard rumors, and we just correct if we're wrong, but are you giving these girls, like, you know, plastic surgery, like, just to bring people into church? And he's like, you don't understand how hard it is to do ministry out here. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I, I get it. It's hard, man. Like, you're in a different country. It's hard. But like, you don't, are you, he's, like, he's giving us, like, are you, are you judging me? I'm like, no, maybe, right? Like, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you don't understand how difficult it is to do the work that's out here, right? You don't know the, the loops that we have to run around in order to actually get people to engage in this community, what we're trying to do. So how could you just come out here, you American person, people who don't know what's going on in the inside and giving us a call and judging us from the outside with your culture and your ideals. They're like, whoa, hold on, wait, 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 right? Americans have plastic surgery too. They're probably king of that, right? But the problem is we're seeing it from the biblical point of view, and this seems to be wrong, right? Not seem to be, it is wrong, okay? And then we begin to start asking him about his secretary, and he was like, you have no idea of anything. And he just, look, you don't want to help? We don't need your help. Right? Actually, get out. One by one. All the churches, we, we just said, look, we care for you. We love you. That's why we're saying this. But if you're going to be like this, we're going gonna, we're gonna to just take away all this, take this away from you. We can't deal with it. We can't, we can't associate a fellowship with this in lieu. I know you're doing great things, but we can't do it. And he said, whatever then. You're done. And so there were. All of our churches began to like, take away help, help support, to leave him. To his devices. You guys follow me? To leave him, to let God or let Satan deal with the choices he's made that he's called his own. And true to form, two or three years later, right, um, his family was destroyed. His wife showed up, and you know, drama happened there. It's like, what's going on? Who's this girl? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, I love him. And, and he was like, you know, it's okay. It's fine. We're, we're okay. We're, you're still my wife. Marriage destroyed. Right? Ministry collapsed because the girls were getting kidnapped. For real. They were getting kidnapped. They were taken away. And everyone was like, you destroyed my daughter. You know, like, I thought you were helping us, but you're not even doing anything. So ministry began to deteriorate. He was broken down because of the role that he chose to stay into. That's what sin does. That's what idols do. Right? And it takes him down that road. And eventually, as he went down that road, he penned us all a letter. It was a letter. And he said, I was a fool to believe that I was smarter than God. And I was a fool to believe that I somehow knew what was the better things to do because I'm out here by myself and I felt empowered to do it. Right? I've wronged both God and both the fellowship of our churches. Right? And I just want to write to say, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm ready to start over. And that's it. Right? But you know what we saw in that letter? It's not some guy who's trying to get um, funding again, because he wasn't asking for funding. It's a man who said, I've wronged. I repent before God. My whole body has been taken. Everything that I loved and held dear is gone. Right? All I have left is me before God. Right? And that's an okay place to be. You guys get me? Because that was a journey of redemption. Somehow we've been blinded by our own actions, blinded by our own sin, that we think that somehow 
we know better. And it is within the church's heart, within our brothers and sisters, that when we see brothers and sisters grieving the heart of God like that, that we need to speak into their life, to speak into the reality, to bring a culture of repentance back into our church. Not a culture of saying, it's fine, it's okay, God loves you, but a culture that says, hey man, I'm worrying about you. You know, what, thought, what I thought was maybe like you know, a freshman thing has turned into like a senior thing, right? It's been three years, bro. Like, when are you going to stop? Right? What I thought was just a, you know, you broke up with your girlfriend, you're sad. Now it's turned into like you've really messed up your life. When is this going to change? Right? And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, expel them not because I think I'm superior or I'm better. Expel them because I love him. And if he is a believer, God will bring him home. God will work upon his heart because he's going to put things in this guy's life that's going to take him on a whole cycle where he's going to lose everything he's put his trust into. And when that finally happens, when he finally hits rock bottom, that's when his soul begins to realize, oh yeah, I have nothing. I still have my God. Satan may destroy his body and his sinful nature, but his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. And that's what we hope for. The problem, unrepentive culture. The solution, we got to call it out. We have to call it out. We have to call it out in a way that's, one, redemptive, not in a way that says, I, don't, I think you are a freaking sinner and you're going to go to hell, right? Redemptive, I worry, I'm concerned. Your lifestyle is not conducive to kingdom life. Two, right, I am, um, it's, it's gone to a point where the church is involved, where people are, it's, it's infesting the people of our community. Right? And I know, I know when I say these things, you're thinking about sex, right? You think about addictions, you think about drugs, you think about all these things. But there are other things that happen within the church that needs to be called out. Sometimes like gossip, right? When gossip becomes to be such a huge thing where it begins to infest into the very heart of our people. You know, it's so funny, even to this day, sometimes when you ask the girls, like, our girls will never marry any of our guys, right? Why? Because, like, TJ, you don't know them, right? You don't know our brothers. It's like, you know, I think they've gotten pretty, they've gotten a lot better, you know? Like, you know, I mean, seven years ago, I, I get it, but, like, you know, they've gotten a lot better. But that information, whatever it was that went around, it just comes to a point where, like, nah, there's nobody here for me, PT. Like, what do you mean? It's you know, so-and-so. No, that's not going to work. Like, how, you don't even really know them, like, Right? It's infesting. Right? The, the, uh, a brother's past somehow now is used to judge his very existence now. I mean, if he's still the same, then okay, I get it, right? But if they're growing, they're changing, right? Then look at the trajectory which they're changing, right? If they're changing like the other way, then yeah, I get it. But if they're changing the positive way, look towards the positive trajectory, right? Not the negative one. Don't look at the one that, don't try to marry Jesus, right? Try to marry the guy who's going to become like Jesus, okay? That's a good one, okay? Anyways, sorry, that's my spew. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right? Once in a while, okay? All right. So why do we do this? Why do we do this? That's the problem. Why do we do this? Why do we, why do we, why do we seek to do this? Look at verse 6 to 8. This is what he says. And this is how we end it. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works with a whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. As you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. A little issue can corrupt the big picture. Right? A drop of food coloring in perfectly clear water will taint it. Why do we do what we do? Paul was saying this, it's because you're not that person anymore. That's not you anymore. You were bought out of price. You are now sons and daughters of the living God. That's not you anymore. D.L. Moody said this, right? He, he gives this example, and I've shared this with you guys a couple of times. It's like, it's like here Jesus is. He's prepared this amazing feast for the people that bears his image. He prepared this amazing feast. He opens the door, and instead of people coming in, a bunch of swine start running in, pigs running in, and there's, there's a trough next to the feast table. And all the pigs, true to their form, run to the trough, and they're just going at the trough. And so Jesus comes in, and he takes them. He takes one swine, nothing beautiful, nothing great about this swine. He takes them up, and he transforms them to his image. He transforms them into a man. He washes that face off. He cleans him, puts on a robe to the guy, puts him on a table, puts a knife and a fork in his hand, and says, this is good food. Eat this. And the man now transforms, says, yes, and he begins to get on it. But the noise and the hoopla, what's going on over here, gets him distracted. And so he puts his knife and fork down, and he walks over. And can you imagine how silly it is for the man to bend over and start eating from the trough again? Right? And so Jesus comes in, and he says, what are you doing, man? Like, get up. What's your problem? You are a man now. Right? Stop. Come over. Here's a fork. Here's a knife. Eat the food that's yours. This is who you are. This is who you are. Don't go back to that. I've taken you from that. I've placed you here. This is who you are. Be transformed. This is the table that you are to be at now. I will always bring you back. I will always bring you back. So no matter how often we go back to here, the beautiful thing about repentance is this. He will always bring us back where we need to be. You guys follow me? The spirit that we need to have is not always a spirit of, it's okay, let it go, we're fine. It's a spirit of like, hey, it's not okay. We got to fix this. This is a problem. This is an ongoing problem. This is not a one-and-done deal. This is not a once-in-a-while deal. This is an ongoing, habitual problem that has infested, that has broken people within the community and the church, and you who claim to be a son and daughter of the living God who trust him, this is a problem that needs to be fixed. And it could be whatever it is, your sexual ethics, your drunkenness, your, your perversity, whatever it is that comes into mind as this message is being preached, Stop saying to myself, stop saying to yourself, stop justifying to yourself. It's fine, I can let it go. God forgives me, no one knows. Start asking yourself, God, when do I when am I supposed to change? Ask yourself, Lord, bring to my heart the spirit of repentance. Bring to my heart the spirit of repentance. Okay? Do you know what you're made for, guys? Do you know what you are made for? You are made to give glory to God. I got this from John Piper, and I want to share it with you guys because I thought it was a great example. You were made to bring glory to God. That's a very ambiguous statement, right? Glory to God. What does that look like, right? You were made to give him glory. An example that was used was there's two ways when you magnify something, magnifying to give glory. Either you do it through a microscope or you do it through a telescope, right? When do you use a microscope to magnify? You magnify what, what it is, uh, things that are small, right? Things that are small, and you make them look a little bigger than they really are, right? A telescope... You take what? Things that are big, and you make them clearer by making them small so that you can see through it. You guys get me? As a believer, as a believer, why do you think you were made? 
That's how. To give glory to God, how? Through a telescope. Not through a microscope. We live our life trying to give glory to God through a microscope. You know how that looks like? We start thinking that God's this tiny little thing in my life. He's this this little part of my life that somehow, some days, I will kind of just show him up. Right? Some days he kind of breaks through through the mars of sin that I have. He breaks through through the unrepentant lifestyle that I live. And he kind of pops through and he's like, oh, look at him giving glory to God. Or look at her giving glory to God. And yet live unrepentantly. And we're thinking, like, yeah, that's how I'm doing it. I'm giving God glory. Because here I am doing whatever I do. And then I pray at the mealtime. And everyone who was around me, like, who just hung out with me, and we just partied together, like, whoa, you pray to God too? It's like, yeah. That's microscope. The way you give glory to God is through a telescope. You are the telescope. So when people look at you, what they see is this amazing grand God in a way that's clear and perfect. They see it through you. And you know how the best way they see it through you? When there's transformation in your life. When there's repentiveness in your life. When they see the son and the daughter you were before, and yet the repentant nature of your heart compels you to change, they begin to see, yeah, your God is big, if he can get you to change. When they see a life that once lived in its own debauchery, in its own uh, uh, futility, and all of a sudden a life that begins to say, you know what, I can't, I can't deal with that anymore, I can't live in that habitualness anymore, begin to say what? Man, your God must be huge for you to change your life like that. You then give glory to God. You guys follow me? But it begins with a spirit of repentance within the church. It says with a spirit of repentance between your brothers and sisters. It's a spirit of saying, look, I'm not going to let my brother and sister go down that road without speaking into their life about it. I'm not just going to shrug it off and say, it's fine, you're young, it's cool, do your thing. Live your best life now. It's saying, you know what? I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. What you're doing is not conducive to kingdom life. And you know what? It's not, it's not a one-time thing. This is going on for a long time. What's happening? Is Jesus really, do you really have a relationship with him? Or is it just kind of like, let me know. So that way we can deal with each other differently. Because you tell me you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm approaching you like you have a relationship with Jesus, and then you're mad at me. It doesn't work that way. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus... We're gonna, I'm going to put you a lot differently. I'm going to say, hey, look, they don't have it, so I'm going to show them why God is much better than that, right? But if they have a relationship with Jesus, hey, I'm worried about you. Just act what you're going through. Let me speak into that life. You guys follow me? Right? It's a spirit of repentance. What is the problem? Unrepentiveness. What is the solution? Call it out. Call it out, but, you know, be wise when you call it out. Just, like, just start shooting bullets, okay? Call it out. To a believer, to a believer, when it's hurt the church enough, when it begins to infest into people's minds and hearts, right? Call it out as a way of redeeming, not as a way of destroying. Call it out as a way to redeem a person, not to destroy the person. You guys get me? Right? It is to redeem, not to destroy. If you call it out in a way to destroy them, right, you check your heart first because you got some problems before you call it out, right? And the reason why is why. You were made to give glory to God. You were made that way. You were made to give him glory. Not through a microscope where you think it's cute that he shows up in your life once in a while, but through a telescope. When people look at you, the way you live, the way you work, the way you, the way you deal with your family, the way you deal with your relationship, the way you deal with your marriage, the way you deal with your, your workplace, the way you transform and change when things are hard. They see it and they 
be God. That's how you give glory to God. Don't give glory to God by praying at the meal. Don't give glory to God simply just by, you know, shooting Jesus out there once in a while. Your life, taking what is huge and showing the world what he really is through you. Follow? Wherever you're at right now, can we come before God? You know, if, um, if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself in a journey that is constantly unrepentive, constantly in that scenario, not seeking to change, not wanting to grow, stagnant, habitually falling into that, maybe it's time to say, God, change this heart. Maybe it's time to say, no more. It's time to get out. Time to seek for accountability. It's time to ask for help. It's time to be no brothers and sisters who are there. You love them. And you know that they have that relationship with Jesus. And it's time to speak into their life, to call it out, to redeem, to restore. So wherever you're at, if you come before God and just speak to Him, He's not far. He's not distant. He's here. His heart has been grieved many times to all of us. But he says, no matter what, I'll bring you back. Just come. Come and trust me. Come. Return to me. Come and let go of what you have placed so much trust in. Come to me. Lord, I need you.